If you uh, have your Bibles, open them up. We're ready for Acts chapter 3, second half today, and we're going to hopefully finish most of 4 as well. And so I just want to bring you up to speed, whether you were in uh, church last week or not. Um, we, we left off, and so you know where we are. If you look at chapter 3 in verse number 1, um, it says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain, lame man, a certain man was lame from his mother's womb, carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Lydia, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asking for alms and fixing his eyes on him with them, Peter said, Look at us. And so he gave him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, give I, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. This guy was congenial um, birth, uh, lame from, from birth. And so he, um, quite a, a medical miracle. And if you know a doctor, ask a doctor what it would take a guy who was born um, lame in his feet, what medical miracles and joints and bones and things would literally have to miraculously be healed for a guy who had never learned how to walk. And then we, we, we know his testimony, right? It says we, we made a song, a, a, a children's ministry song out of it. You guys know it? He went walking and leaping and... No, let's try again. He went walking and leaping and... Come on, y'all. Are you like too cool to say praising God? He went walking and leaping and... And praising God. So a guy that had never walked his entire life is now walking and leaping. Amazing miracle that God was going to use to get the attention of the people. Something that was going to be so undeniable that they just couldn't say anything against it. You know, one of the things that God uses in your life and in my life is the fact that you were also lame at one point. You, you were lame and God made you whole. You were, you were at one point in life defeated like this lame guy. Defeated? Cracker Jacks? Box? Yeah? Uh, I'll use it again next week. You guys will get it. Or you'll, you'll wake up tomorrow morning and go, oh, for you blondes in here. <gasps> Just kidding. <laughs> I see some brunettes that are dyed that are looking at me. <laughs> Just kidding. I love you guys. I told you that, right? Um, so the, the reality is the Bible says in, in the book of Revelation that one of the things the world sees about you and I that's true. And that's what's happening here. God does this miracle, but for a reason. What was interesting was this particular lame guy, for 40 years, he couldn't provide. And there was no welfare system. Your welfare system was begging for alms at the temple. And he had a good spot there right on the temple steps. And no doubt, without a doubt, Jesus many times would have walked by this same exact crippled man and never healed him. And I'm sure Jesus just knew in his heart, was just excited for this guy, knowing one day that Peter was going to reach a hand out to him and say, rise and walk in the name of Jesus. But Jesus didn't heal him because there was a plan that he had to use this guy's healing to, to share the gospel in Peter's life and give the disciples um, some credit for their ministry. And, and so James and John are there in the Sanhedrin. They, they hate it. That, that this is going on. But the people around see this amazing miracle and, and immediately they begin to give Peter and John credit. And we tend to do that. We, we tend sometimes to, to praise the instruments that God uses and it's always a mistake. You know, if you go to the doctor and, and he does an amazing miracle of healing on you and he cuts something off of your body that's cancerous and you're just well and you, you go back to thank him 
and the doctor is standing there. And, and as the doctor's there, you just pass the doctor and you come to the table where his scalpel and his tools are. And you say, oh, thank you, scalpel. Thank you, tool. Like, you, you healed me. No, that's just the tool. The doctor is the one who used the tool. And, and Peter, understanding that he was just the tool, I love it because he just deflects the credit. And he just says, it's not because of me. It's nothing, no power of mine. It's because of Jesus. And for all of us, these are the men and women that God uses, or those that when God uses you, you won't try to take the glory and the credit for yourself. You don't want to be like Nacho Libre. He just wanted a little taste of the glory. And it, and it was bad. You, get, you know, God's not going to share his glory with you. And, and for a right reason. You know, unfortunately, this, this topic has, has really tainted religion, really, for, um, all, for thousands of years. And what happened is somewhere in the church, um, we realized that, that if, we need, if people needed us to get to God, it gave us a certain power. And we developed doctrines like men had to come and confess our sins to us. And we were the ones that would give them the, 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 the forgiveness and the repentance and the ability to get right with God. But apart from us, apart from the priesthood, they didn't have the right, apart from the clergy and the leadership, they didn't have the right to go to God for themselves. And this, this perversion, it, it created this, this really unbiblical practice of, 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 of confessing our sins to somebody else to, to be able to reach God. And not only in that area, but in so many areas, what the church eventually did was they, they, they developed this hierarchy and they put themselves between the average people and God. Do you know that one of the reasons why we, America was even founded in the beginning was for religious freedoms? And part of the deal was the people believed that, that the, the Bible should be in the common language that everybody speaks. That's in your history. And, and the reason for that is because they only kept the Bible in Latin and nobody read Latin or understood Latin. And they did it on purpose. They did it on purpose so that your average person couldn't just read the Bible for itself. And then they could tell you things like, if you pay extra tithe, then we will give you extra blessing. We will, we will do this. You will not have to go to purgatory as long. And then they had even things where the church began to sell indulgences. That was quite a, a profit deal in the, in the church in one season. You wanted to go to Vegas for the weekend and have a good time? You just come in on Thursday and you prepay for your sins and you make a donation and, and then the, they throw some holy water on you and make the sign of the cross and then whatever you do in Vegas that weekend stays in Vegas. No, unfortunately, you, you bring that disease home with you. You don't stay in Vegas. That's a lie. And really, even, even here, you know, I deal with it sometimes with some of you folks, right? Like the, where, where people will come and say, oh, pastor, will you, will you bless? I've had people ask me to pray over an object before. Will you bless this object? Will you bless my house? Now, we do house blessings. Um, but, but again, we, we try to let folks know that, you know, it's not of our power or accord or, you know, we're going to come, we're going to pray that God would bless. But I can say all the blessing I want over your house. And if you, if you invite evil into your home and entertain evil, it don't matter what kind of blessing I put on your house. That's what's going to exist in your house. You put Jesus in your home, you put light in your home, then evil's going to leave your house. And, and you shed the light in your house. And it's what happens in your house regardless. And I don't have any power to pray over an object to give it to pass some some pastoral blessing onto this object for folks. Um, but but here's, here's the deal. You all have the same exact power that I do. Listen, you have the same power that the priest does, that anybody does. 
And, and we, we want to take that and we want to give it to the people, right? That, that's so important. And this is what Peter does. Peter, of all people, if anybody could have taken credit or, or, or deserved as, as an apostle, a, 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 one of the 12 apostles of Jesus, he makes it very clear to the people that he didn't want to take any credit. He didn't have any special power. It was by the grace of God and it was because of Jesus. And so we're constantly pointing people to Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. Um, you, know, you know who has the right to, to bless things in, in your house? You know, one of the things that uh, I've dealt with here in Utah, which was new to me, a um, little bit of a learning curve, um, some folks got upset that I was baptizing people. And, and they wanted to know by what authority did I have to be able to have the right to baptize folks. And uh, I said, well, I'm a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, and um, you know, anybody can baptize anybody. If you're a born again believer in Jesus Christ, we've all been given that right. And then I'll usually take them to, to, to the word of God, to first Peter chapter two, and I'll show them a couple verses that, that sometimes blow their mind and that they don't necessarily agree with. But I want to share this with you today. I'm going to make every one of you a minister of the gospel before you leave here. Did you know that was going to happen before you came to church this morning? You were going to come just a normal Joe and you were going to leave like in a, in a collar and a top hat. It says, it says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, listen, Peter says, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Peter's talking about you and the work that God is doing in your life. And he's talking to the average everyday Christian. He says for every one of us that God has called us, called you to a royal he, a, a priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ that you can offer sacrifices that God will accept. And you don't need to go to anybody else. And then in verse number nine, listen to this. But you are a, this is about you. This is about you. You can look in the mirror and you can, you can believe this about yourself because the Bible says this about you. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Did you guys know you were part of a royal priesthood? How many of you guys considered yourselves priests? Nobody? You are. You're priests of Jesus. You've been anointed. So now I'm going to make it official for those that didn't know. I'm going to make the sign of the cross over you. If I had some holy water, I'd throw it on you. You know, I, I tease sometimes that um, I, can, I can also make you all Christian counselors, right? You've heard me share that before? Because Christian counseling is pointing people to Jesus. Can you guys do this? Can you point people to Jesus? If people come to you for advice, can you point them to Jesus? Can you say, hey, I can't help you. I don't have the, the answers or the power, but Jesus does. And this is what the word says about this situation. And I can pray for you and I can encourage you. And I can, I can encourage you that you can trust Jesus no matter what, that Jesus is going to come through. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so now if you can point people to Jesus, every one of you guys is anointed Christian counselors leaving this place. So you've become a priesthood, a royal priesthood. You become counselors and ministers today, and we haven't even hit 11 o'clock yet. <laughs> I don't see. I work myself out of a job. I don't need no job. I definitely don't need. My job is definitely not to get in the way of somebody's relationship with God. That's for sure. My job is to point people to Jesus. To say, listen, I'm a brother in Christ. I'm not a father. I'm a brother. I, I, I'm alongside you. We're doing ministry together. The Bible says that we together in this room we're a body. And I just happen to have a certain part of that body, but that, that we're brothers in Christ. We're co-labors in ministry. And every one of us has a part of the body to serve and do. And every one of you has been called and anointed. And, and you have as much access to God as you want to have. 
if you don't, if you, if you want me to pray for you because you, re, the reality is may, maybe I, I do pray a little better and, and have a little more, you know, that, that comes from, from a choice that I've made to spend time with the Lord, to grow, to be in, in God's word, to, 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 to pray and practice in private what I demonstrate in public. And, and, and in that, then, then you, but every one of you has access, okay? That access is not limited to certain people that God has chosen or called. Amen? All right, so I just really wanted to make that point. I think we were pretty clear on it. <coughs> um, so, hey, let's pick it up. I, we, we left off last week in verse number 19 when it says that repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And we offered you the forgiveness of sins that God offers. In verse 20 of chapter 3, it says, and that he may send Jesus Christ who preached to you beforehand, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from the brethren, whom him you shall hear in all things whatever he says to you. Um, so Moses gave a prophecy in the book of Exodus that Peter's quoting here to the Sanhedrin. Now you guys have all caught the scene, right? Peter and James, they healed the, the lame guy, the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling party of the time, the same guys, Annas, Caiaphas, the same exact um, group of men that crucified Jesus two months earlier, about 60 days. I'm not sure exactly how far we, out, we are out from chapter one, maybe another month passed by the time they're at this, this stage, but we're not far from, from Pentecost when the early church was born, which was exactly 50 days after Jesus rose from the grave. So not long ago, Ananias, Caiaphas, and these, these rulers, um, in this ruling party, there was a 70-member group called the Sanhedrin that would have been responsible for the death of Jesus. The Sanhedrin was made up of Democrats and Republicans. They called themselves Sadducees and Pharisees. There was, there was one high priest making the, the council 71 members. In case of a tie, the high priest would, break a tie, would be the tie-breaking vote. The, the top echelon of, of this group of ruling authorities, now, unlike our government that, that, that claims that we separate church and state, they, there was all one thing in Jesus' day. The religious folks, the church, and, the, and your local government, all of your stuff was all one party. So this group, the Sanhedrin, they ran everything. They had just crucified Jesus. And now they're calling Peter and John onto the carpet, and they're upset. Crazy enough, they're upset that the lame guy was healed. You'd think that maybe they did something terrible is why the Sanhedrin and the high priest was so upset, but not so. How many of you guys seen a really, really cool story this week? President Trump signed another Religious Freedom Act this week. Did you guys see that? Bring in prayers. And I don't know the full extent. Come on. Bring in prayer back to school. There was that coach, that big story I, we were following a couple years ago was the coach in Texas, I believe. Was he in Florida or Texas? And he was the coach, big, big, huge um, public school, winning football program. And at the end of the game, he would personally walk to, to the center of the, of the football field and just take one knee and say a prayer. And he did it religiously after every football game, just silently he would, he would pray. And what happened was the students began to see what their coach was doing and they would kind of rally around in a circle and the prayer meeting on the football field started to grow after the games. And they fired the head coach for praying. So this was one of the cases that was cited that, that they're not going to put up with that anymore, that you can pray. And, then, and, then, and eventually the goal is to pray, is to bring prayer back to the school. Amen? So that's a huge victory. Be excited for that. That's good stuff. Um, but that made me lose my point where I was. 
Verse, um, uh, let's go 22. Oh, yes, 22. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yes. Moses' prophecy of the Old Testament, he's quoting it here. And Moses said, he was prophesied of the Messiah, and he said, that God will raise up like in one unto me. Um, and, and Peter makes it clear here that, that Moses was talking about the Messiah, that, that the Messiah would come. This was a messianic prophecy from Exodus. Now, um, if you ask the Jews today why they don't receive Jesus as their Messiah, they'll quote this verse to you, not, not in Acts, but in Exodus, where Moses said God will raise up. And they'll say, when, when Messiah comes, he's not going to be as you claim deity. He's not going to be the son of God. He's going to be a prophet like unto Moses. And he's going to be a regular guy like Moses was, used of God and, and empowered by God, but not a, not a God himself. And it's the very thing that they'll cite in, re, in rejecting Jesus as Messiah. That's why when Antichrist comes, who will be a regular guy empowered by Satan, they'll, they'll, they'll hail him as Messiah. They'll receive him until the abomination of desolation that happens at the three and a half year mark when he goes into the rebuilt temple and claims that he, that he should be worshipped. At that point, they'll realize that they've been duped and that he's not the Messiah. So in verse um, Samuel, verse 24, it says, And all the prophets from Samuel to those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. Hey, verse 24, fill in the blank. Yes, and one more time. Yes, and all. How many of the prophets? From Samuel. You remember after Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he appeared to many um, post-resurrection in his glorified body. One of the stories goes that he was on the thing, we call it the road to Emmaus. And, and he was walking on the road to Emmaus and he encountered two guys on the road and, and he was somewhat disguised. They didn't know who he was and, and he began to talk to them. And they said, man, where, where have you been? Have you crawled out of a hole? Don't you know what just happened in Jerusalem? And Jesus is like, no, nah, what happened? They're like, well, there was this guy, Jesus, and we had hoped he would be the Messiah. And then it says, and then Jesus began to speak to them. And it says, he began to expound, starting at Moses, all of the places in the Old Testament that spoke of him, of Jesus. Man, I would love to have that sermon. All the Old Testament places. And Jesus would say, when, when Micah said this, and when Daniel said this, it was talking about me and this and this. And he goes at Moses, and on the road to Emmaus, he begins to explain these guys. This is what, what Peter is saying here. But he, he, he starts at Samuel. Jesus went back to Moses. But he says from Samuel, every one of the prophets spoke of the coming of Messiah. That he would come. He would be born in a, in a, in a manger. That he would live a sinless life. He would be born of a virgin. That he would die a violent death. That he would rise again the third day. And they understood every one of the prophets, starting from Samuel, spoke of the day. You know what we can say today now, 2,000 years later? That every one of the prophets from Matthew, every one of the writers of the New Testament from Matthew is prophesying of a day that's going to come, that Jesus is going to come back. That Jesus is absolutely coming. And we will one day hear the trumpet call of God when Jesus comes in a rapture, when we're caught away to meet him in the, in the air with the Lord. And it says in verse 25, you are sons of the prophets and of the covenant, which God made with our father saying to Abraham and in your seed, notice seed is singular because the one seed of Abraham that Peter is interested here is Jesus. That through the line of Abraham would come this guy, Jesus. He's going to say as much in the next verse in all your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed to you. First, God, having raised up his servant, Jesus sent him to curse you, to make your life miserable, to make you Christians look like you're sucking on lemons all the time. Is that why God sent Jesus? 
What does it say? What does the Bible say, that the reason why God sent Jesus? To do what? That's what he wants to do? You sure? You guys don't act like it. You know what's funny about this? Well, first of all, let me say this. God wants to bless you. Jesus wants to bless you. He does want to bless you. How many of you guys have, have children? Now, if your children haven't reached a certain age where they're just rotten and you'd rather kick them, you, you, want, to, you, still, you want to bless them. Do you not want to bless your children? You want to see them have joy, right? You want, you want to bless them. That's, that's, and you being an evil father, you um, evil mother, you want to bless your children. God wants to bless you. You've got to believe that. God's not rotten. God's not against you. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly. Is, is there certain rules and regulations that define that? Of course. You as a parent understand that, fine. But yet the world wants to call God, you know, not trying to bless us and, and narrow-minded because he puts a little fence around the front yard so the kids can't go play in the street. You guys have a three-year-old that plays near a street? Do you put a fence around the street so they don't go out and get hit by a car? Is that because you're a terrible parent and you hate them and you're restricting them? So God has some parameters around our lives, some things that he defines as sin because they'll hurt us. It will hurt us if we run in that street, and God tells you that. And then oftentimes we run out in the street and we get hit by that car, and what do we do? God, why did you send that car to run me over? You dummy, I didn't send the car. I put a fence around you. I tied you up to the pole. You broke the leash. You got over the fence, and you, and you ran out in the street. What, what do you want me to do? I've done everything. I gave my son to lay down for you. You had to trample through his blood to get in that street. That's not my will for you nor my heart. But you have free will. And God's, but God's, so, so listen, we, we've developed, and I want to make sure we're careful from this. We've developed this, this kind of concept of God that he's like sits in heaven with his legs crossed and he's got this big white beard and he strokes his beard from heaven looking to see who he can zap with lightning and he likes making us into crispy critters. When you see God, if you close your mind, you close your eyes, not your mind, I'm sorry, if you close your eyes and you, you wanted to think, what, what would God look like? Imagine yourself in God's throne room. What do you see? It's hard to imagine. I get it. But listen, I, I think part of what we need to see when we, when we want to visualize maybe what does God look like, I think you should see Jesus with a big, huge smile on his face, just wanting to hug you and just wanting to love you and just you just like really getting giddy to get in his arms. Because you're going to feel the, 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 the real love for the first time ever. I mean, true, true love as Jesus gets a hold of you. Do you realize this is true? Um, for many years, when, when did we start making movies? 30s? 40s? 50s? 20s? They were probably making black and whites. Okay. 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. They made movies about Jesus of Nazareth. They made movies about the Gospels where a character, Jesus, was played in them. Never once, not in one movie, ever made about Jesus until like 2000, did they actually have the character of Jesus in the movie crack a smile in the movie. He was somber. Somber? Somber. He was stoic. He was religious. And he would never smile because that's not our impression of what God is like. Come on, man. Jesus was... Jesus was, was, was he, you know, he was elbowing the guys. He called, he called James and John. The Bible says in jest as a joke. He's joking with them. You know, they're sitting around the campfire, and Jesus says, you sons of thunder, because they wanted to call fire down from heaven. That was a nickname he gave them for fun. Like, the guys laughed about it. The children wanted to be around Jesus. Why? Because he was like this all the time? 
I am the, I'm God, stay away. I'll turn you into a pillar of salt. We got we to lose that idea, that concept of God. That's, that's not God. You know, uh, unfortunately, so many times, you guys, with, with some of our religious beliefs, whether we do it intentionally, now you got to follow me on this. Listen, whether we do it intentionally or unintentionally, we paint a picture that God is, is, is petty, that God is, t- is small. I, I, I talked to somebody. Actually, she's somewhere right over here. And, and she told me that, um, in, in her niece's church, when they baptized, they braid the girls' hair so that, because in order for God to accept the baptism, everything has to go under. And if one little millimeter of hair gets stuck out of the water, it doesn't count. So we believe in full immersion. Like that's, that's, but at the same time, if, if sometimes I've baptized lots of folks, and I try to get you all the way under the water, believe me. Some of you, I try to hold you there for a while. But there's times something happens, you know, some of the big guys are hard to get them all the way under. Sometimes people kind of freak out a little bit as you're taking them down because they're nose thing and they do something funny that they don't all get all the way under. That's okay. God doesn't show up. Listen, to say God's not going to accept your baptism if you don't get fully immersed. What does that what does that say about God? To me, it says that God shows up at the place that you've decided to make a public declaration of your faith, to willingly give your life and your heart to Jesus publicly before your family and friends, something that's already taken place in your heart. You're making an outward expression of it. You're making a full surrender of God to your life. You're inviting God to be in every part of your life. And he shows up for this special occasion. He's got a referee jersey on. He's got a tape measure and a whistle. And he hovers over the water. And if one little piece of your hair doesn't go under... He says, no good, no good, I don't accept you. Is that your version of God? Not mine. And, that, and unfortunately, and I'm picking on that one situation, <clears throat> but religion across the board, in, in so many areas, in so many ways, when we make these rules that God never made, when we, when we do these things, we paint this picture to folks. And there's a reason why, um, you know, they didn't make Jesus smile in movies, because it, Everybody, you know, has this, this impression of, of Jesus that he's that way, but he's not. Look at verse 26 again. To you first, God, having raised up his servant, Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away from your iniquity, iniquities. So he wants you to, to turn away from your sins. Amen. Part of, of being a Christ follower is to get your life and your heart right with God. If there's something going on in your life that's sinful, you got to deal with it. You got to deal with it between you and God. And you've got to ask God to forgive you. And, and, and God will do that. He wants you to, He wants you to get it right. That's a part of his blessing. And that's a part of how he blesses you. And then we get into chapter 4. Um, my, my, my title for chapter 4 is Be Bold. One of the things that I've told you guys, I want to kind of pass this little skill on to you so as you, as, as you learn how to read your Bible for yourself, um, one of the ways that the, that the Holy Spirit teaches in the New Testament, uh, in the Bible, period, but is through repetition. So if you read a chapter and you just happen to notice one word is mentioned, like the same word, um, repent, is mentioned seven times in this chapter. It's done on purpose. In this particular chapter, one of the, the, the repetitive things that we see is this word boldness. And so because it's repeated so many times in this chapter, the Holy Spirit does that intentionally to draw your attention to it. So as you read a chapter and you find something that's really repetitive, kind of key in on that a little bit. Look into that. Kind of think about it. Process it. Read the chapter again with that in mind. But part of this is about the boldness of these disciples. They healed the lame man. They were thrown in prison for it. They're going to get ready to go to the the Sanhedrin. Now, again, the Sanhedrin did have power to kill him. 
So I want you to just appreciate the little bit of the situation that the disciples, you know, they, they could have been in fear for their lives. And they really didn't do anything wrong in chapter 4, but they're going to ask God for boldness. So you and I, we want to be bold in our witness of Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, it says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captains of the temple, and the Sadducees. So the group is made up of Sadducees and Pharisees, but coincidentally enough, the upper echelon at this time was, was all Sadducees. Being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, you guys know the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. And so they were greatly, what does it say? Greatly disturbed. The Bible cannot and does not exaggerate. So if it says they were greatly disturbed as opposed to just disturbed, they they were pretty upset that Peter and John were out there preaching the resurrection and Jesus. And they laid hands on them. And they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So here we go already. Disciples of Jesus spending time in jail. They said of the Apostle Paul that every time he traveled to a new city or a new town, when he first arrived in the city or the town, he would ask an official there if they would take him to see the prison because it wouldn't be long before he would end up there. He was in so many prisons in so many cities that the Apostle Paul was. And so um, some of you know what that feels like. Sorry. Um, So it says, and then verse number five. No, four. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men. So the Bible usually, when it's numbering people, it only mentions the men. It doesn't count the women and children. Talk to Jesus about that one, but it's the way it works. Like when Jesus fed the 5,000, that was 5,000 men, not counting women and children. It's a different number when you add the women and children. So this is a big group of people as the early church is being born. Peter preached on Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved. Now here we have a number of 5,000. Whether you put those two together to make 8,000 plus the women and children is is a big early church. Um, Or maybe it's one number, 5,000. He's giving the total number from the three to the five. But either way, it's a lot of people as the early church is being born. And, and as you guys know, this, this was a big reason why the early church is going to go into this that we're going to see in the end of this chapter and next chapter. They're going to go into that communal living that the early church practiced. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, by what power or by what name have you done this? So they were trying to trap the disciples, but at the same time, um, they did have the right biblically to ask this question. It's a good Bible question that they got right out of the Old Testament. The Old Testament says that, you know, what, what do you give credit? By what power, by what name do you do this so that God would receive the credit? And then um, they, they, they were wanting, Jesus, uh, you know, I'm sure Peter to cower, to, to not be bold here, to tell them what they wanted to hear. Because it already said that they hated the name of Jesus and they hated the resurrection. And so now they're kind of giving Peter an opportunity just to get out of this. He could have just said, oh, don't worry about it. It was done in my name. We'll we'll leave. But instead, Peter stands on his soapbox. In verse 8, it says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I've got to stop there. Verse 8, Peter was what? What does that mean? Well, didn't we see Peter in Acts chapter 2 being filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2? Does that mean he lost it and then he got it back? Or was he not at all, right? The, the, the verse is in Ephesians 5, and it reads in English, Be um, not drunk with wine in which is dissipation, 
but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be ye filled with the Holy Spirit in the King James. Be not drunk with wine in which is dissipation, a waste of time, loose living, but be in contrast, because if you're drunk, you're probably not going to be speaking in tongues and going to your friend's house and praying for him and doing Bible study if you, if you decided to, to get drunk that night instead. The two are in contradiction to each other, and they don't go hand in hand. So, so Paul tells us in Ephesians, be not drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the, in, in the Greek, this is where the Greek really comes in handy in understanding this verse in the New Testament, because the Greek participle means to be being filled. Okay, I want you guys to say that with me. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's something that we continually do. It's demonstrated here in the book of Acts. That's why I pause here and highlight it. Peter, um, if you actually follow Peter's testimony, John chapter 21, Jesus appears. He makes the fish on the sea. The fishermen, the the guys are, are fishing. They come back. It says that Jesus breathed on Peter and the disciples and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. So Peter on the beach, and I always say this, right? You guys have heard me say it many times. If Jesus says to you, receive the Holy Spirit, what's going to happen? You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And so he's John chapter 21, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls on Peter and the disciples, tongues of fire on their head. They're speaking in other languages. Peter begins to preach the first sermon filled with the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people get saved. We get to Acts chapter 8, says Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is a process every day, you guys. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. I do believe that just like your water baptism was a particular time and moment in history, that, that your, your being baptized with the Holy Spirit is a particular event that happens in your life, where God, like Acts chapter 2, baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. And then after you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then, then as we live life, we're constantly, if you guys have heard me pray, I probably don't pray a prayer where I don't say, God, fill us with your spirit. God, give us your spirit. Fill us with your spirit because this is the relationship that we have with Jesus. This is the relationship that we have with God that constantly we need his power. We need his presence. We need him to be with us in everything we do. And so we see that demonstrated all the way through the Bible. And so Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and and elders, if we this day are judged for a good deed um, done to a helpless man, by what means has he made us well? Hey, look at um, Matthew chapter 10 with me really quickly in verse 17 Matthew 10:17 it says beware of men for they will deliver you up to councils this is words in red Jesus talking they will deliver you up to councils that's exactly what's happening to Peter and John so Jesus is prophesying about this moment in Acts and Peter's telling the boys what's coming I'm sorry Jesus is telling Peter and the boys what's coming but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to council and scourge you in their synagogues. That's exactly what's going to happen. You will be brought before governors and kings. That's going to happen to Paul. For my name's sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry how or what you should speak. For it will be given you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit, or I'm sorry, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So this is a great promise in the word of God for us to be encouraged. And this is what Peter is doing in this moment. I don't think Peter had a, a rehearsed speech for the Sanhedrin. He sat in, he sat in jail all night. But, but that, that morning as he met with these guys, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he began to speak. Jesus told him, hey, when this happens, don't worry about what you're going to say. And sometimes I think we worry about how we're going to witness to people or what words we're going to use or what's going to come out. 
And God says, don't worry. In that moment, you show up in the Holy Spirit because it's not you who speaks anyways. It's the Holy Spirit who speaks through you. So, but how cool is that? Like you're off the hook. You just got to show up and be bold like these guys were. And the Holy Spirit will filter. Now, I do want to just point out, which I probably don't have to. I probably can let it go. But I will point out that this particular situation is not like what I do on Sunday morning. I don't just show up and the Holy Spirit's going to fill me and speak to you all today. Like, no, like I get up here and we know what to say. Like, like the Bible also says to, to be a student, to be diligent, to, to, to search the word daily, um, to, to study the word, be a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so we, um, so we, there's, there's, you know, when you public speak, when you, when you do something, yeah, it's not that you just show up and the Holy Spirit does it. You prepare and you do some things like that. But at the same time, God gives you a measure of grace. And he says to you, yeah, if, if something happens and you're just in a situation, you're fine. I got you. Just be bold, filled with the Holy Spirit, and God will begin to speak through you. And that's what happens here. Um, all right, uh, what's going to get... Verse number nine, it says, if this day, back in Acts chapter four, if, if, if we this day are being judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you and all, to the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man stands before you whole. I think Peter had this like really like crescendo moment, you know, where he had a chance to cower and instead he goes the other direction. I think it was, there was a couple, but one I remember is uh, Jim Morrison, um, Light My Fire, like 60s, right? Does anybody remember that? A few of you. Jim Morrison, like in the 60s, 70s, early 70s, he goes on one of the late night shows in America. And the NBC network, there's a line, a famous line in the song that says, we couldn't get much higher, baby, we couldn't get much higher. And they said, we don't want you to say that on national television. So, so change the lyrics to, um, you know, baby, we could, we could have some fun or something. So he agrees to it, and he goes out on the live show, and he gets to the part in the song where he's, he's supposed to change the lyrics from we couldn't get much higher to baby we could have some fun. And so he says, you know, as he gets there, he says, baby, we couldn't get much high. And he just like says his normal line. Everybody's like, whoa, what's he doing? He's not supposed to say that. But he, he took that moment to, uh, they, they said that uh, Johnny Cash did the same thing in the Folsom prison, right? He wasn't supposed to say, I shot a man to watch him die. And uh, they said, hey, leave that part out of the song in the Folsom prison. He did the same thing when he got to that part. He really, I shot a man just to watch him die. Um, so that's Peter anyways, on that moment. Like, don't say Jesus. Don't just let it go. Take the easy route. Instead, he says, I want you to know today. And first of all, he points out he, their hypocrisy, right? Like, are we really being judged for a, a lame guy who was helped? But if that is why we're here, let it be known to you and all of you that it was by the name of Jesus that this man was made well. And in verse 11 it says, And Jesus, by the way, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Now that's just a, every, every Jew would have understood that story. It's a true story out of the Old Testament. When they were building Solomon's temple, all the, all the stones were quarried off site because they, they didn't want neither the, the sound of chisel nor hammer at the side of the, of the Holy of Holies in the temple. So everything was done off site, numbered, sent to the builders, and the builders built Solomon's temple. And when they came to the very end, they were missing the chief cornerstone. And they sent back to the quarry and they said, we're done. We need the final stone so we can complete the project. And the quarry looked in the records and they said, we sent it three years ago. And they said, no, 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 we don't have it. We don't have it. 
And sure enough, somebody said, well, there is one big stone that's out in the, in the back and the weeds have grown over it four feet tall by now. And, but I think it's still under there somewhere. And they go and they cut the weeds down. They find this stone. And sure enough, it was the chief cornerstone. So the stone that the, that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone is a prophecy of Jesus being crucified instead of being hailed as the Messiah. And so Peter mentions that. And he says, Jesus... Was, was a picture of that stone that the chief builders rejected. And in verse 12, he says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Um, will you guys read verse 12 with me? Okay, ready? Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What, what language is that in? Is that in English? Did you, could you guys read that without, without a theologian here to tell you what it means? I haven't explained it yet. Do you need me to explain it or can you understand by yourselves what that says? There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What about the name of Muhammad? What about the name of Buddha or Joseph Smith or... Confucius or any, any, any just being a good person. You know, we, we, we get accused, right? The world doesn't like the idea that we, we say, um, Jesus said, we don't say. And we can tell people that. Look, I don't say that. Jesus said that. And we, we're not, we don't have the personality or the attitude, I'm telling you now, that, that we're going around telling people, you're going to hell. Which for some people could be true. You know those crazy guys down in the corner and they bullhorn, they yell at people. I personally just have not been called to that kind of ministry, and I think it's super ineffective. But maybe somebody needs that and gets saved, and so God bless those guys. If one person is reached and the rest of us are offended, who cares? Because somebody went to heaven through it. So I'm not whatever. It's just not my call. And it's not my call because it's not biblical in the fact that the Bible says it's the love of God that's going to change your life, not, not hellfire damnation. The fact that there is a heaven and hell is a reality. Folks are going to go to hell. Folks are going to go to heaven. That's just the truth. And based on what you do with Jesus, we'll decide that. There's going to be bad people in heaven. There's going to be good people in hell. Because it's not a matter of good and bad. It's a matter of your sins being forgiven. Only Jesus, listen, you have to understand this. And and the others don't even claim or make any kind of boast. But only in Jesus is there an offer of a forgiveness of sins. Nobody else offers it. Buddha doesn't offer it. Muhammad doesn't offer it. Nobody has an assurance of salvation other than the blood of Jesus Christ that forgives a man of all sins. So when any other religion in the world, 100% outside of true faith in Jesus Christ, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, when you die, you're not sure if if the religious system that you're in, if you did enough, because there's some kind of works-based system that you have to work in order to get to heaven. So you're on your deathbed, and the best you could do outside of Jesus or in any other system is believe and hope that you did enough. But not us. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, the only place, the only where, where God offers to you the assurance of salvation. And I want to tell you something, and I've experienced it, and, and it, it, it's, it's super powerful. Christians die well. I've lived it. I've seen it multiple times. Christians die well because they just have a supernatural peace that they know they're going to heaven. And unfortunately, I've seen others outside the Christian faith who, who didn't die so well because there was a fear in that last moment. One particular one that really stands out in my mind, an opportunity with Pastor Gerald, and we were at the bedside of somebody who was Jehovah Witness who was dying. 
And according to what they've been taught their whole lives, they had to earn their salvation through a certain amount of works. But the problem was they just weren't sure if they had done enough. So they're laying on their deathbed just hoping, worried, really, nervous. Did I really do enough? I hope I did. You don't have to hope. You can know that you know that you know that you're saved in Jesus. You know, Jesus is not popular. I'm going to show you guys just a couple little quick clips, but all I'm trying to do is just illustrate. I don't want to pick on the guy in the video, um, but, you know, Oprah Winfrey, I don't know if you guys know, she does some church on Sunday mornings, and, and millions and millions of people go. And, and really, Oprah's deal is all roads lead to heaven, and that this exclusivism, and she'll interview pastors and leaders that are making a splash in the world. And there's a particular guy, he's a pastor of Hillsong's church by the name of Carl Lentz, and, and doing big things in, 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 in um, New York City, right down downtown New York City. Church exploding, thousands and thousands of people and celebrities and people coming and coming to Jesus through this ministry. Well, she interviews him, but he understands, he understands something that um, it's not popular to, to say this verse, that there's no other name under heaven by which men which be saved. And he knows that Oprah ain't going to have nothing to do with you. There's two things she's interested in. Because they, they, they consider themselves more spiritual than Christian. They say, if, if Jesus is, if you're exclusive and Jesus is the only way to heaven, we don't want nothing to do with you, we reject that. Or if homosexuality is a sin, we don't want nothing to do with you, we reject that. Two, two areas they hang their hat on. Let, let's, I don't know, which order are they in? Does it matter? Let's start with the two Oprah clips first. Just, they're quick. It is one of the most talked about new congregations in American Christianity today. And he is the magnetic force behind all the excitement. As the lead pastor at Hillsong Church, New York City, an 8,000 member community in the heart of Manhattan, Esquire magazine named him one of the people under age 35 who are reshaping the world. It really for you is not about religion. It's about your relationship with God. This is soul transformation. You get your soul right, your behavior will change. Do you believe that only Christians can be in relationship with God? No. Do you believe that only Christians can be in relationship with God? No. I believe that when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, in the way I read that, Jesus said he is the, he's the road marker. He's the map. So I think God loves people so much that whether they accept or reject him, he's still gracious and he's still moving and he's still giving you massive red blinking lights for chances to take a, a right turn where maybe you would take a left. But I believe God loves people. And that's what this whole gospel is based on. It's love. You take the love out of it. We've got a moral book. I do still believe that the number one question people need to answer is who is Jesus? I was just going to that <laughs> who is he oh you just read my mind i was gonna say for you who is jesus so jesus is he's god he's everything he's the answer he's the he's the sacrifice he's the atonement he's the way in and so for me i know people who think jesus is an option he's a good guy he was a moralist i don't see him like that i saw jesus as salvation mm-hmm. because i read things in the bible that to me demanded a verdict which was Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And that's why the gospel confuses people, because it is still the good news, but it begins with bad news, which mm-hmm. is we're all in trouble. <laughs> we're, we're in a burning house. Well, it, it, the way I see it yeah. is when I looked at that. For, so I, the very nature of being. So, listen, I, I want to be very clear here. 
I, I, I think Carl Lentz is an amazing preacher. They're doing big things in New York. I'm not picking on him. And I don't even think that he, he believes that, you know, some of that stuff, the way he worded it. But he definitely has decided that he understands it's very unpopular and that he couldn't just give a decisive answer because then he's, he, he, he doesn't, Oprah's not going to want nothing to do with him anymore and that he's not going to be popular. And so he's made a choice for himself. But you notice, which I didn't point out before, but if, if I go back and I show those two clips, twice he, he quoted John fourteen six, In the first clip and in the second clip, two times in that interview, he quotes John fourteen six. Both times, John fourteen six reads like this. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. That's what John fourteen six says. Twice he quotes John fourteen six, and he says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and then he, and then he stops. And he doesn't say, and no man comes to the Father except through me, because that's not popular. That don't win us brownie points. But listen, folks, it's what the Bible says. So we, we don't, he, you know, his, his thing would, he would tell you, well, I, don't, I don't need to be unnecessarily offensive, and I don't want to, you know, whatever. And people are getting saved. And, you know, if, if people are getting saved, and then Jesus is in control, and they can meet Jesus on their own and grow, and, and people would never get saved in our ministry, and Carl does it different, God bless him. He's not our enemy. I'm not saying that. I, don't, I want to make sure I'm clear that that's not, I'm not picking on him for that. But I'm illustrating the fact that it's just not popular, right? I don't think you're going to be in downtown New York City with Kevin Durant in your church, you know, where you, you, you get, you, you'll, you'll become exclusive if you say that. Now, we don't, again, we're not, we don't go around telling people, oh, you're going to hell. That's not effective. Jesus said it's love. But finding that, that balance is what I want to see us do, Right? Not, not compromising what the Word of God teaches. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. So find a way when your friends tell you, oh, that's good for you, but I, I have my own spiritual battle, our own spiritual um, journey. When we're both going to the same heaven, I'm just going to get there a little different, that you can tactfully and lovingly try to walk them through what, what the Bible says. You know, try, try to show them that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father Except through me. Hey, let's just go ahead and show that last one. I got it. This is kind of on topic, off topic. This was uh, um, just to illustrate the verse where it says that Jesus, and I told you guys, that no other religion offers um, forgiveness of sins. And Britt Hume um, highlights that in a Fox News clip to Tiger Woods. This is 2010. This is 10 years old. Sports. Brett. Tiger Woods will recover as a golfer. Whether he can recover as a person... I think is a very open question, and, we're, and it's a tragic situation with him. I think he's lost his family. It's not clear to me that whether he'll be able to have a relationship with his children. But the, but the Tiger Woods that emerges once the news value dies out of this scandal, uh, the extent to which he can recover, it seems to me, depends on his faith. He's said to be a Buddhist. I don't think that faith offers the kind of forgiveness and redemption that is offered by the Christian faith. So my message to Tiger would be, Tiger, turn to your faith, turn to the Christian faith, and you can make a total recovery and be a great example to the world. Yeah. Even Britt Hume there, he gives a pretty bold example for Jesus. And, you know, what happened was Britt's um, son committed suicide 11 years before this clip. And, and at that time in his life, he said that I was faced with a decision, and he asked Jesus in his life, and, and he said he embraced the Christian faith. And, and, you know, he started to say there, Tiger, you need to accept Jesus. And I think he kind of caught himself knowing that that's a buzzword, right? When you, as soon as you say the name Jesus. So he said, Tiger, you need to embrace the Christian faith, which was okay too, it was a good example. 
But he did a lot of homework for himself, and he looked into the Buddhist faith, and, and, he, and he says in there and that they, they just don't, not, again, and not bashing, just saying they don't offer forgiveness of sins. There's no, no, nothing in the doctrine and the teaching that, that offers. No other religion offers it, just Jesus. And here Peter says this. There's only one name under heaven by which we must be saved. Um, should I do the one more thing that's going to take five, seven minutes, or should we just kind of get out on time today? We're kind of mixed. All right, we're going to, I always probably always do it. So we'll stop there. That's a good stopping place. Let's have the worship team come up. Um, because it's talking about men must be saved. So the reason why we'll stop there today is because we want to give everybody an opportunity to get saved. We want to give everybody an opportunity to just put their faith in Jesus. You know, I think the Bible is pretty clear. The Bible um, on this side of, of heaven is very inclusive. And in all, the Bible says, whosoever believes could come and receive everlasting life in Jesus. That God so loved the world that whosoever believes. But yeah, heaven is going to be a members only club. And heaven is going to be exclusive. But the exclusivity in heaven has nothing to do with works. Has nothing to do with good people, bad people. The thief on the cross was a bad, bad person. Let me ask you this. What if you were um, a, a partner, a best friend with a thief on the cross? He was a murderer, an insurrectionist, society, and if it was our society, we would have all agreed that he deserved the death penalty for his crimes. He was a bad guy. So he's your buddy. You grew up with him. You, did, you, do, you know what kind of person he is. He, die, he's, he, he gets a death, pen, death sentence. You're in another city. You hear your friend has died on this cross. Somebody asks you, hey, where do you think he went, heaven or hell? What do you say about the thief on the cross? You grew up with him. You know him. He's terrible. He's a murderer. He's an insurrectionist. Hated God. Did he go to heaven or hell? You say, oh, he's probably in hell. And, and you would have been wrong, right? Because we don't know. The guy, guy got saved, man. He's going to be in heaven as a bad person. Like, not, I mean, he's not going to be bad in heaven. But, you know, he, he didn't get there. He never went to church. He never paid tithes. He never did good deeds. He was just a rotten, rotten person. You know, some of Charlie Manson's group, Tex Watson and um, one of the gals, proclaimed faith in Jesus Christ. Those were wicked people, man. What they did, that whole helter-skelter, the, the tapes and all that thing was, was wicked. And, and they profess, a, 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 and they'll be in heaven. If, they, if the God, they ask for forgiveness. And so it has nothing to do with good or bad. It has to do with forgiven. Sometimes a hard pill to swallow, right? Sometimes we don't want those people in heaven. You know, the, the one that I always tease about is Jeffrey Dahmer proclaimed a, a faith in Jesus before he died. Jeffrey Dahmer was a, a guy who was murdering um, gay guys and um, eating their bodies. And he professed a faith in Jesus Christ. I'm like, what if I get to heaven and that guy's like my next door neighbor? <laughs> I just hope he doesn't have a barbecue. I'll be over behind his house when he's not home unhooking his gas. <laughs> he ain't cooking anything near my house, dude. Not that, you know, I'm kidding, right? But, and it is, it's hard, it's hard for us because we think, you know, well, listen, by the amazing grace of God, that's why Amazing Grace is the most, the best song that's ever been composed. It's just because it is, it's that crazy. It's, it's God's amazing grace that saves us. And there's only one name that we're saved by, by the name of Jesus. But you've got to know that you know. The Bible says if your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Do you know this morning if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? So you, and you need to know, if your answer when I say that to you is, I hope so, it's probably not so. Because you can know so. Because that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that this salvation that God offers you is, is guaranteed. And I want to tell you, once you receive Jesus and you make a surrender in your heart to Jesus, you don't need to come back to church and get saved every Sunday. You can come back to church and get filled with the Holy Spirit every Sunday and get recharged. But you get saved, you're saved. You're going to heaven. And if you sin during the week, join the club. We all sin during the week. And we don't come back to church to get saved because we sinned in the week. We just come back to church to get refreshed and refilled and get close to Jesus again and grow a little bit. I want to give you an opportunity. Let's stand together as a church. And if you want to receive Jesus in your heart for the first time, or you want to make sure that you know your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, or, or maybe this morning you, you know that you're a believer in Jesus and you've been distant from God and you just want to get close to Jesus again, Jay's going to be up front. Pat's going to be up front. And we'd love to pray for you individually. Is the prayer room open, prayer room open today, Darlene? Okay. Also, when you, when you exit out here today, if you'd like to spend some time, if you need a Bible, we, want, we have some Bibles we want to give you. If you need extra counseling, there's a place where you can go back and make an appointment to see me for counseling or one of the other leaders or pastors or you just want some time. When you leave here, you can go left and, and the prayer team will be back there just to love on you and minister to you if you need that today. We highly encourage you guys to take advantage of that. Your life doesn't have to be broken to make a left. You just have to be willing to say, hey, I need Jesus. I just need a little extra prayer this week. And again, if you want to receive the Lord in your heart as your personal Lord and Savior, I want you to come down um, as we sing this last song and we're going to pray for you. We're going to have Jay pray for you. We're going to have Pat pray for you. I'll be down for a little bit. And just say, I want to receive Jesus in my heart and we'll pray for you. And I'm going to ask you today, and we're not going to pray, I'm not going to pray for us as a group today because I want to ask if there's somebody that God is calling to get saved, to put feet to your faith. And I want you to have to come down today and let, let somebody pray for you in that, in that vein. And we're just going to lead you in a simple prayer as you come down. But you can know that you know that you know as you place your faith in Jesus. Amen? Father, we love you. We thank you. God, we pray that you uh, will pour your spirit out upon this place. We know that there's only one name under heaven by which men must be saved. And Jesus, that's because you paid an amazing price. And you came to bless us, it says in this chapter. Lord, you want to give us abundant life. You love us. You're not mad at us. We make mistakes and, and you forgive them and you, you provide a way for us to stay close to you all the time as a loving father, as a savior. And Jesus, you want to give us good gifts, the Bible says. You want us to have joy in our lives. Lord, we want to experience the joy of God. We want, we want to be, we're lame people that were made well and the world can't deny the power of, the, of our testimony and how you've healed us and changed us. And so God, continue that work in our church. And Lord, we pray today, especially if somebody is not sure if their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that today by the calling and the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help them to put feet to their faith and walk down these aisles and ask Jesus in their heart this morning. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Hey, nobody's dismissed. This is an important time every Sunday. So just do me a favor. Pray if you're a believer that if God is working on somebody's heart right now, that they would receive that, that the spirit of God would move. Can you guys give me one song? We even ended on time today. And just together as a church family, let's pray. Pray for Grantsville. Pray, pray for this community. Pray for this family if you've got that time. Pray for your own family. We got one song. Let's worship the Lord. Let's pray. Let's let the Spirit of God move. Maybe there's somebody that, that really needs to come forward to receive Jesus today. And let's, as a church family, support that. Amen? Amen.